And welcome back in another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Hope you enjoyed Players Championship last week. Justin Thomas, pretty solid weekend. Anytime you can get around TBC Sawgrass, 64-68, that'll uh, usually get the job done. Honda Classic this week, just south of here, about three and a half hours. PGA National, you think ball striking was important? At TPC Sawgrass, wait till you, you see PGA National. You better be able to keep the ball in front of you there because there is a lot of water lurking. And, uh, well, this week I thought, you know, let's bring in someone who knows a thing or two about not only playing the game at a very high level, he played professional golf for many years, but uh, he knows how to get around golf courses very strategically. Uh, he is the founder of a system that I'm sure you've heard. It's called Decade Course Management System that gives you optimal targets based on distances surrounding trouble and more. It combines distribution patterns and PGA Tour scoring to statistics. He works with a lot of the best players in the world, and he joins me now from Texas, Scott Fawcett. How you doing, buddy? I am perfect, aside from this uh, elbow surgery that we're slowly working through, but the winter is over. The sun is out. Yeah. Thank God, right? The winter is coming to an end. I saw you've been ripping some club head speed distance. We'll get to that here um, momentarily, but uh, I, I want to get your thoughts. I, I know you break down all of the best golf courses really across the world uh, for your players. Where does TBC Sawgrass, you know, kind of stack up in there for you? Your thoughts on this peak die design, which I mean, for me, when I watch it, Scott, on Sunday, it it really did feel like, Basically, all these guys, every shot, it just felt like double bogey was was lurking. Where does it where does it line up for you, Sawgrass? You know, it's interesting because obviously I spend half my life apparently arguing with the golf course architecture crowd on Twitter. And I feel like it's actually just part of my DNA because my favorite architect, if you'd asked me before even I didn't even know who Tillinghouse was or any of those people. If you'd asked me a few years ago, who's your favorite architect? I said Pete Dye. There's a place, Stonebridge, the die course here that I grew up playing as a kid that was always my favorite course in Dallas. There's not a lot of classic historic venues in Dallas, but it was always my favorite. When I entered Q School back in 2008 as a 35-year-old amateur, I got through second stage at a Pete Dye course, Southern Hills Plantation down in Tampa. I have always loved them, and you know I've always been a great ball striker. So that probably has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. I've always loved Pete Dye. And when I look at, you know, the, the it's it's funny because like, yeah, Sawgrass, is it manufactured? Is it part of the terrain? It's, it's Florida. There is no terrain. It's flat as a pancake. And it is just awesome. Like, I think it's one of the best courses on tour, even though I'm sure that is nails on the chalkboard to anybody who has an affinity for architecture. I actually <laughs> threw that out on Twitter. I don't remember what the response was. I threw it out there one time. Like, I love Pete Dye. Mm-hmm. You historians, do you hate everything about his being? And I don't remember what the response was. I remember it wasn't overly positive. You know, because then they like to even bring in the monstrosity of the the clubhouse at Sawgrass and all this stuff. Everything about it is anti uh, the the historical stuff. But I think it's amazing. Like mm-hmm. sixteen, it's just a perfect hole. Actually, I can pull it up real quick over here on the other screen. Sixteen is just a hole. I hate to say everything from three to you know, eight is in play, but at the end of the day for the week here, yesterday there were uh, there were three Eagles, five bogeys, no doubles or worse. Average score is 4.56. I think that the kind of a hole, when people talk of birdie hole or a bogey hole, in order for that to be the case, the scoring average has to be about four and a half, three and a half, two and a half, because otherwise if it's, you know, 3.9 on a par four, well, 
I could tell you with great certainty on the on the tee box, you're probably going to make a par here. Mm-hmm. When you stand on the 16th tee, you're either going to make a four or a five, most likely. Yes, there are some bogeys. There are some doubles. There are some eagles. There were 15 eagles total. There's usually about 450 rounds. So it's still basically you're not making eagle. No. Um, and, and it's just I think that's the kind of a just a, a utopian hole. Anything mm-hmm. to play. And then you go to 17. And then you go to 18. I think it's just all brilliant. I mean, again, even when you take it to 16, the trouble on the second shot is on the right. Obviously, trouble's everywhere on 17. And then on 18, the trouble's on the left. Like, you kind of get the best of both worlds. And I think the place is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is awesome. And uh, it it just... It just, it always feels awesome, but this year just felt a little different. I mean, it just felt like every player in the hunt grinding was like literally standing on the edge, you know, with every shot, it was just, it was nuts. And one of the guys, one of the guys that made Eagle on 16 was uh, Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, just a towering drive and then a short iron into it. I mean, there's the power on full display on 16. You've known him for a long time and uh, you started with him at SMU course mm-hmm. he won the NCAA and then he wins the amateur and now where you here he is really changing the game it, it, with with what he's doing and you have helped him you know with the course management you work closely with Chris Como who works with Bryson I want to ask you what we know what Bryson has improved from a physical standpoint we can see it 40 pounds the guy hits it over the moon um you know people like to make fun or like to kind of throw it out there. Like, well, everybody talks about his distance, but he's a really good putter. Bryson has been a good putter for a long time. I mean, Bryson has the complete package. That's not a, you know, that's not a, a, you know, secret to anybody, but I want to ask you, where have the gains been from a management standpoint, say back from his SMU days to now? Well, I can honestly, I can virtually credit my creating a decade seminar to his college coach. So mm. Jason Enloe and I have known each other. We're basically the exact same age. He played at SMU while I was at AM. You know, I didn't play a whole lot of junior golf, but I played collegiate with him and then on to mini tours and professional golf. And I mean, I've known the guy forever. And after, you know, when I, I created all of decade, I did all of the math in 2013 and 14. And then when it was time for me to use it for my own game, I mean, again, this really is, I'm not gonna say an accident, but it's kind of an accident. Actually, elbow I got a cortisone shot in my right elbow the week before the Texas amateur which is why I caddied for Zalatoris when he won there um again luckily I just finally had surgery on it seven years later last week but Enlo was watching us there and because he had some players in the field and obviously he lives in Dallas and he was like dude I don't know what you're doing but I can tell you're doing something because I just had this laminated card I was doing some math he could kind of hear us talking and then obviously I caddied for Will when he won the U.S. Junior and it was Jason Enloe and Alan Bratton from Oklahoma State, those were the two that were like, if you can turn this into a seminar or turn it into anything, I guarantee you, you've you've actually created something here that's different. And I don't know, I probably would have figured it out that I could teach something, but I don't know that I would have done it the way it was without Jason Enloe. Because again, Bryson is a really smart guy, Yeah, but just like all of us, he really struggled with learning how to play the game. And so Enloe was like, he fires it at every single pin and I can't get him to stop. And so I've created the seminar largely for Bryson, basically. Enlo asked me, can you Hmm. teach this indoors? Because the NCAA rules to not be considered a golf coach, as long as we're doing it indoors, he checked with the NCAA and they said, as long as indoors, he's not a golf coach. He's teaching, teaching mindset. 
Yep. And so the way I used to start my seminar off is I would always know who's the best player in the room. Obviously, I knew it was Bryson in this situation. But even it's still at the time, he was 67th in the amateur rankings. Um, I mean, he was good, but it's not like he was setting the world on fire or anything. Right. Um, he'd won either the Southern or the Transmiss. I can't remember, but that was basically his only amateur win until that point. And I used to always ask the best player in the room, where do you currently aim your approach shots? And so I asked that question to Bryson, and Bryson just goes right at the flag. It was like, well, normally people like chew on their tongue for a second and be like, I don't really know. You've actually had an answer. That was a terrible answer, but you answered it. You know, talk to me. And he's like, well, I tried to do a lot of this math one time and I couldn't quite figure out. I couldn't quite figure it out, but I realized there was an inflection point where aiming away from the hole is just as bad as aiming at it. So I've just decided I'm just going to send it right at it. And if it's my week, it's my week. And and so that was in February of 2015. And, you know, here's a kid that obviously one of the most talented guys on the planet with golf, just based on what he's done. But here's a guy at the time that 67th in the world and 90 days later, he's the NCAA champion. And 90 days after that, he's the U.S. amateur champion. And he's just won at every single level. And again, this is where, you know, when I'm working with players for the first time, a lot of times now they're. I have to really be careful and be like, I'm not saying you're not good enough to fire at flags. I'm saying the game isn't set up to fire at flags at a minimum. I always try to blame it on the outside. The ball's in the air for five, six, seven seconds. It's windy out. Like the variance in wind makes the game impossible because you really have to set these highly talented people up to where it's not their fault Mm -hmm. They have to play, you know, again, I hate saying conservatively, but but they have to play correctly. Um, You just have to put the math in your favor. Getting back to like the idea of four eagles and 450 attempts, you know, or excuse me, uh, 15 eagles, whatever it was, in 450 attempts this weekend, that's probably three, three and a half percent. It's essentially like pulling the ace of spades out of a deck of 52 cards. It's just not going to happen. And it's, I try not to give the, you know, the announcers too much of a hard time, but like on 17 yesterday, Bryson fires it at the middle of the green and the answer's like, I thought he'd get more aggressive there. Like the pins 13 feet from the water. You, you can't, right. there's no forcing it. And it's a really difficult thing to get through your head that even taking the correct target, you actually will make as many at a minimum and probably even more birdies, especially on that hole. Because if you fire right at the pin, just you're going to hit a 30 of your balls in the water. Mm-hmm. Period. And that's, you just can't overcome that. There is no overcoming it, not even just for birdie's sake, but just for anything. So you go back to a guy like Bryson, you get this going through his head. And again, then he's really smart. He has a very strong analytical logic brain. And then he starts noodling on it and really thinking about it. And then he takes it to, I don't want to say the next level. There is no next level. It's two plus two at this point. It's right. solved. But he figures out how to apply it to his game. I mean, it's unbelievable to watch. Yeah, it's done. So he he aimed at every flag at college, and then he slowly has come off of that and has been more strategic with his lines um, into greens. And he's talked about that. He's been very vocal, you know, about that and being very patient and very disciplined um, with his lines. And if anybody can be aggressive and aim at pins, it's him right? Because he can, he can throw the ball up in the air and get the ball to stop basically on any green in at any situation. So he's been able to do that. What talk about the lines off of the tee and the angles into the green I've talked about, or I've heard you talk about that angles into pins is overrated, right? And that the way that you should be aiming off of the tee 
should be based upon your dispersion. And I believe Bryson does that, right? He knows what his dispersion is and how sure. he then basically scales that out over the hole from the tee and where he's going to aim. And a lot of that's going to trump the idea of the angle into the green. Is that accurate? I mean, absolutely. And again, okay. this is back to arguing over it's silly things on Twitter, but it's not, it's not semantics, but it is semantics. I'm fully aware if a pin is on the right and there's bunkers guarding it and the left side of the fairway opens up a better angle to the pin. I'm fully aware that that's better, but if your shot pattern is 60 or 70 yards wide, which it is at a minimum, especially on tour, as the ball goes further, shot pattern simply becomes wider. That's not because of loss of accuracy. That's just trigonometry. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got this 60 yard wide, 70 yard wide shot pattern that if you think of a normal distribution curve as a relatively low and flat distribution curve, yes, you hit it in the center of your pattern more than you hit it 30 yards left or 30 yards right, but it's actually not by much. <laughs> and that's the key that you really have to, to get into your mind is if I aim at the dead center of a fairway, I will, if I'm good at centering my shot pattern over my target, half the time I will be over there left almost by accident. But if I take my shot pattern and I try to get that left angle, now the left extreme, the extreme left edge of my shot pattern, the left 30, 35 yards. Now that's probably in the trees or in a water hazard. And again, this is where it is the, 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 the architecture that creates that. The only way you go to a place like Bandon Dunes where they played the US Amateur last summer, where literally some of the fairways are 70, 80 yards wide. I think four is even like 100 yards. Mm -hmm. like it's huge. But if the fairway's not 70 yards wide, which obviously not many are on the planet, you, your shot pattern by trying to favor a side is going to put some portion of your shot pattern into the adjacent hazard. And that's, again, it's, it's this nonlinear gain and loss that Mark Brody talks about so well in every shot counts, you know, if, if it's, it's to, to relate to math, if you and I are flipping coins and every time you get it correct, you, you guess correctly, I give you $10. And every time I guess correctly, you give me 20. If we flip a coin and you get it right, and I give you $10, did you win money? And the obvious answer is, well, yes. But actually, the answer is no, you didn't win money. If we do this very many times, it won't take long if you're like, oh, that's a really bad bet. Yeah, It's the exact same. That's a very basic idea of expectation math. And, and golf, you know, we know that games like uh, backgammon and chess, they're math games, poker, and, but golf doesn't seem like one, but it, it actually really is just a math game once you boil it down. And that's why it's interesting, because when people talk about the all time greats, Nicholas, uh, you know, Tiger, obviously, they're also they, they say in the same breath, they're the best course managers ever. And that's basically them saying they're the best at playing the math side of the game better than anyone. And, and you know, actually, just an idea going back to our first little point there about Enloe and Bryson, mm -hmm. you know, Bryson was, I'm, I fired every single pin and Jason Enloe is like, I've watched this. He's a college coach. He's a great player. He's won two or three times on the corn Ferry tour. Like he knows what's possible in the game. Jason deserves as much credit as anyone for Bryson's win at the NCAA or that, that entire summer, or honestly, even to where he's at right now, because Jason walked, you know, a lot of times college coaches, the head coach will walk with one player, all 18 holes and the assistant will walk with the another. And the other guys, three guys are just off on their own. Jason said, I'm walking every single hole with you this spring. And he did. And they took decade and they implemented it to the letter of the law, which 
the reason that's important is the emotion of implementing it is, is that's the hard part. Like I can teach you the math of it in 10 minutes. It's the emotional control. And that's where I even say like myself, if I hadn't gotten the cortisone shot in my arm and, and gotten it messed up back in 2014, I would have played in the Texas Amateur myself. And by about the sixth hole, I would have been like, this is so stupid. I can <laughs> for sure play more aggressively than this. But because I'm catting for Will, removing the emotion of hitting the shots, the emotion of I want to win, I want to make the cut, I want to do whatever. I'm just like, I don't really, I mean, I hope he wins, but at the end of the day, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to see if this works. And and just to watch us pick off holes. And then the whole time I'm like, this is too conservative. This is too conservative. And then we shoot 68 in the first round. I'm like, that's a pretty good round. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He's got the lead and that wasn't that hard to do. And that's the lens you're looking through. And that's the lens Jason Enlow was looking through watching Bryson, which then allowed him to just stay on his butt. No, dude, this is it. This is what we've been doing. I know you feel like you've got to press or force something right here. Just like on the 17th hole yesterday, mm-hmm. you probably need to make finish birdie birdie Bryson. You're two back with two to go, but having the discipline to just trust your target, trust that in theory, half the time it'll finish on the right side of your shot pattern. Half the time it'll finish on the left. If it's your week to win. Yeah it'll just happen to finish over there to the right. I mean, and that sounds, but I really want to force it. I really want to <laughs> yeah. look like I get it. That's just not how the game works, especially once you add any wind and nerves and everything. If it weren't, mm-hmm. if it didn't work that way, I would just tell you on the first hole of a 72nd hole event, just go make it happen for 72 straight holes. But it's just not what, it's just not the way it works. Well, he, he stayed with it. I mean, he, he 71st hole middle of the green 72nd hole and down up the right side. I mean, that's, that's the way he was going to play. He didn't force a driver. He knew he had to make it, you know, he knew he had to make it too. So he could have tried to hit his driver up there as close as he could on 18. That would have been fascinating to watch actually. Oh, but man. Uh, You know, it's, uh, it's good stuff. I mean, you've clearly had a lot of success with it in decade and it's made a great impact. And Bryson's been, you know, part of that too front. And, and I think course management from his SMU days, but I want to ask you this because you know, you talk about Bryson and, and distance. Um, I was, I was really shocked when Rory came out on Friday afternoon and talked about the chase of distance and how it's really tangled him up big time. And I, I was like, come on, man, like you're plenty long. In fact, the last time I looked, the only person ahead of you is Bryson. And it's only by like six yards on average off the team. Now I know Bryson's got another gear, it's but, not actually it's not that it's another gear the, the distance you can't look at the the driving distance numbers what again back to mark brody the guys of the, the professor at an ivy league business school he's really really yeah. smart he amazing i never would have thought of it he's like you want to look at that 75th percentile shot so if you go ahead 100 t shots that 75th the the, the top 25 percent are probably downwind on 18 at kapalua okay and the bottom 25 percent probably weren't driver and so that 75th percentile is a pretty good number of I hit driver for sure. And it probably also wasn't the conditions. That's about how far he hits. Yeah. It. And then you could do the same thing by just comparing club head speed because Bryson, I well, again, back at colonial Como and I went out, it was the first tournament back from COVID and Como and I was just, I mean, we're two PGA tour instructors. We went out and walked around. It was pretty cool. Like I really thought there'd be members and, Lots of people out there. It was the TV crew and Como and I. Yeah. Like it was shocking. And Bryson was paired with Rory, and he hit it fifty or sixty past him for you know for eighteen straight holes. 
And it was just incredible. Again, like I've seen, I mean, I have 120 mile an hour club head speed. I've walked practice rounds with Rory, DJ Brooks. And when they hit it, I'm like, well, yeah, it's impressive, but I can do that. Like you do it a lot more consistently than me and you do everything else a lot better than me, but I can do what you just did. Watching Bryson hit that first tee shot. I saw him hit outdoors on 11 at colonial. And I was like, Oh my God, like yeah. that's just noticeably different. So Rory is short. I mean, obviously I know where you're going with that question. I'll just, yeah, obviously. Well, well, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me say this because. All right, let's, so Rory felt the need to like, man, I gotta, I, maybe I need to look at this and, and, and get a little bit longer. Right. So he went down this path and clearly he's got to a point now where he's, he's struggling. I mean, he, he, he played horrible. Thursday, Friday at the players, probably as bad as he's played in a long time. Um, so there's a, did there's, shoot? There's, I don't even know. I honestly, don't it was like know. 77, you know, I mean, it was bad. I mean, oh, he shot, right. when he he shot Sunday round. at Bay Hill, he shot, I think 78, 77 on Sunday. And then he comes into the players and shoots 77. I mean, that's a huge number for Rory McIlroy. That's like, that's like me shooting 95. I mean, seriously. Mm-hmm. So he's, so he's not the only player. Let's take him as an example. Okay. He's not the only player that's looking at saying, okay, I, I got to get longer. Right. So there's risk involved in getting longer. Bryson took huge risk. There's no question, huge risk. And he's pulled it off. There is no question about it. There's people on my DM and Instagram saying, yeah, I mean, it's very little risk. I'm like, no, it's a big risk. This is a big, big risk when you start going after this kind of change. Look at David Duvall. He lost all that weight, couldn't play golf. So <clears throat> he's pulled it off. In your position, player starts going after distance, like a Rory, let's say. And the rest of the game starts to struggle a little bit. Where, at what point are you like, you know what? I know plus 15, plus 20 sounds good. But I'm seeing over here now, it's just not worth it. Like your strokes can approach, your iron game is struggling, your short game. Like it adds up to where like the risk is just not worth it. The, the real key to me is this seems like it's not been overnight, but it seemed like the pandemic, like he was really starting to start making the gains leading into the pandemic. And then everyone disappears for three months and he comes back and it's just like, Oh my God. It's like, if you don't see a friend who's gained 20 pounds for a year, you're like, well, 20 pounds, isn't that much, but you see him from 180, and then you see him again at two and you're like, Ooh, yeah. but if you just 40. saw him, huh? 40 pounds. Yeah. Well, I was just saying, just, just yeah. but no, I'm not talking about Bryce. I'm just, I'm making oh, an analogy here see. where yeah, I got you, you got see you. them every day. You're just like, Oh, you got a little heavier, yeah. but you don't notice right. Bryson just disappearing for three months and coming back with another five or six miles an hour, another 20 miles an hour, 20, 20 yards rather. It seems, but Como and him, they've been working on the, this at this point for almost two and a half years. And that's where, you know, I, I threw out on Twitter back in October after the U S open and everything, I, I, I said, there isn't a single player on tour, not considering distance right now. Here's one I got today is from a, a tour player. And it, and it was a, uh, it was a, a 350 yard carry. A guy just sent me his, uh, his, his, his a screenshot of his track, man. There was club speed, club at speed was 125 carry 350. Just everything was just optimal. And I said, the tour is g- going to be a circus for a few years while everyone figures this phase out. And it's just, just going to be glorious. And yesterday I retweeted it and I said, you know, mistakes are going to be made chasing distance. And that's, that's the key is, and, and, and I got some grief for people saying like, you're going to tell Rory McIlroy, he made a mistake. I'm like, 
again, unfortunately, like that's kind of my job is to help educate the onlooker. Mm -hmm. Rory went out and and he even said, he's like, I started swinging faster. And the dude's as strong as anyone on the planet. He's, he's, he's a physical specimen, Mm -hmm. but there seems to be probably he should have gone out about lifting differently, maybe lifting a little bit heavier for two or three months, maybe building some other portion of, of the infrastructure of the body in order to be able to just swing faster. You don't just go start swinging faster. That's, that's not how you do it. Myself personally, you know, I I entered Q school kind of as a joke two years ago. Um, And, you know, I'm 47. My club head speed had fallen down to 113 or 14. I was a low 120s guy whenever I was playing full time. And it kind of hit me after I'm like, damn it, I really wish I had some of my speed back. And so I decided to, to start basically adapting it again, what Como and Bryce were working on and started lifting just heavier. I yep. didn't change anything. I lifted heavier for about six or nine months. Then I felt like, okay, I've built some of the infrastructure. Now I'm going to try to start lengthening my swing, start actually, actually trying to swing faster as opposed to, uh, you know, just whatever my normal swing was. And that's, that's really what I feel like Roy for sure probably got wrong. And it's what the most people are going to get wrong. It's, it's how can you learn from watching everybody else? Which again is the whole reason I started experimenting with a set 47 inch driver and started doing all this stuff was so that way, you know, again, I'm a pretty good player. So when I consult my tour players and they get lost, how come was talking about, we left little breadcrumbs along the <laughs> way with Bryson. I can be like, well, Hey, here's, the issue I've had with the 47 inch, here's the issue I've experienced with that. Here's how I fix that. Here's it. You can kind of imitate the numbers and figure out how to give them, you know, a breadcrumb or two to go back on. Because if there's one thing that's really hard to do in golf, it's to try to start swinging slower. And so not that I think Rory has broken himself quite obviously, but once you start trying to get that speed and then, yeah. start, well, I went too far, let's back it off. <laughs> just looking at it here, just to, to, to the idea of, their distances. I just looked in shot link here and, and Bryson's club head speed on 16 yesterday was 135. Rory wow. on Friday was 124. Now Rory at 124, that's three or four miles an hour quicker than he normally is, mm-hmm. which is 10 or 15 yards. But Bryson at 10 miles an hour, that's where I look for who's the longest. Obviously you've got to hit it solid, but all these guys hit it solid 10 miles an hour club head speed times one and a half in smash is an extra 15 miles an hour of ball speed at two or three yards. I mean, it's 30 or 40 yards, which lines up exactly with what I watched him do to Rory for nine straight holes at colonial. It's yeah, I just, it, it is, it is impressive, but I, are we, are we setting the, the bar at the longest wins? I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like I just, I look at a Rory and I'm shocked. He's, he's 124, which is, you know, he's hitting it. I think he's like 312, 313 off the tee. He's plenty long uh-huh. to be, to, to win any golf tournament anywhere and continue with major championships. It just shocked me that he felt the need to go out there and just start pressing down and I've got to get longer. And then all of a sudden the rest of your game falls apart. We saw George Spieth do it. He disappeared for the better part of three years. I have people telling me, Scott, on Instagram, in my DM saying that players need to sacrifice two to three years of their career. If that's what it means to get 15, 25 yards longer. And I pushed back. I said, okay, you're telling me Jordan Spieth in his prime, in his prime, he's winning major championships, right? That he's got to go get longer. And he's now wasted three years of his career, right? In his prime 
to try to get longer, that that's worth it? I mean, because you know that's going to happen with some. I know there's a right way. It's going to happen stronger. vast majority. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'm like, I don't, I don't agree. Like, I don't, I just don't agree with like, Spieth is a freaking genius. Like, I know he's not, I know he's not long, but he's not short, but he's a genius. He knows how to win tournaments. I'm not, you're telling me he's got to sacrifice three years to get longer and come back. I'm like, I just, man, I just scratch my head at that. It doesn't make so sense. This is, this is how I tell my tour players. And this is my advice to every single one of them. And it will continue to be, you need to get longer. I don't care who you are. You need to get longer but you have to do it intelligently and you don't need to have a timeline on it. It's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like, okay. self-improvement. Yeah. I, I want to be a better person. Well, you're not going to be a better person by tomorrow. Right. You want to be a better person by the day you die. And it's, it's a, yeah, it's not a pill. It's you're not taking a pill. pill. <laughs> so, so let's set a course of action and, and you know, Hey, I wish you could get longer by tomorrow, but you're not gonna. And if you try to get longer, even by three months from now, you're probably going to screw it up. Let's just put a plan in action of, lifting heavier, getting your body more prepared, and then just slowly start ramping it up, slowly start adding speed. And then that's when you have more of a breadcrumb to, to, to go backwards on, to just start swinging as hard as you can. That is not mm -hmm. what we're talking about doing. We're, you, you have to, it's, it's like when people give Tiger a hard time for leaving Butch back in the day. Well, in hindsight, yeah, but probably should have stayed with Butch. I've, that's probably about as good as golf can be played. But he didn't know it at the time. Bryson right now at 135, I, I think it's insane. But why can't he swing at 150? He won't yeah. swing at 150 by tomorrow. No. Constantly chasing improvement is what elite performers do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And, and I got pushed back. You know, I kind of was critical of Rory when he, and I got some pushback and I get that. I take a step back and I realize that the constant search is one of the reasons why they're so great. And I get that, but it's, this is not as maybe as, as um, understood as the platform is to get bigger and stronger in the right way to do it. Right. There's a right and a wrong. You're playing with really talented and skilled people, especially right now on tour, trying to get longer. It's different with the, the next generation coming up, right? Cause they're training now and hitting it hard. So that's different. I'm talking about the guys right now that are on tour, like a speed, like a Rory, like a ROM, like a JT, you know, like they see Bryson. Okay. There's going to be a lot of guys that are like, I, I need to try to add 10 to 15 and man, you're playing with fire. You know, you're playing with the genius and the DNA at that point. And speed is the best example of it at that point. So I know there's the perfect way, but man, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. I tell all my juniors, look, you got it. You got it. We got to create speed. I've been, you know, we've been creating speed for years and years, but the emphasis has been highlighted due to Bryson for sure. And it's, it's, it's changed the game. And like you said, it's going to be wild, man. It's going to be, it's just wild to watch. I almost fell off the couch when Rory said that. I was like, what the, like, really? Well, when I, when I knew what Como and Bryson were working on, year and a half ago. I mean, everyone, I mean, maybe some people knew what was going on, but I, I kind of knew what they're doing. And I'm like, this is crazy. But I also was kind of telling me some of the numbers. And I'm like, dude, this is going to totally change the game in 10 years because the math that I've laid out, that Brody's laid out, that, you know, Lou Stagner, my, my stats, man, the math is as straightforward as you can possibly get. And, and yeah. there's no denying that, that, the, the game is a game of power, and it always has been. When you think about the true all-time greats, I get it. Corey Pavin is an all-time great. I get it. Tom Kite is an all-time great. 
I'm aware of that. But the yeah. real all-time greats, the Nicholas, the Norman, the the Tiger, those guys are all bombers. Um, almost a hundred percent. You know, Faldo, he's obviously an all-time great. He's nowhere in the conversation of greatest of all time. And and not that Norman is either, yeah. obviously, but um the the all-time greats, the, the speed just does so much for you. And so, you know, when I knew what they were working on, I was saying, this is gonna be 10 years, man, this is gonna be unreal. Then when I, I literally watched him hit one driver at Colonial, I was like, it's going to be a different deal in five years. <laughs> yeah. And then watching the U.S. Open, I was like, it's going to be different by the end of 2021. Because that's when I personally, I called uh, Ping and Marty Jertsen and, and those guys were cool enough to send me a couple of 47-inch uh, drivers. Because I'm like, it, it just goes faster. There's no... No two ways about it. It just goes faster. And I know this is going to be something that everyone's going to struggle with. So again, I just want to be a, 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 a an experiment, a test case that doesn't matter. And it's just, again, from my 44 and a half inch gamer to 47 inch, it's five to seven miles an hour. And again, that math mm-hmm. is very straightforward. It's 10 miles an hour in ball speed. It's 20 or 30 yards. Yep. What I got wrong in my 20s, again, I was a low 120s guy, even back in the late 90s, which I blew it past everyone. I'm, my swing is very similar to Finau's, except less repeatable, apparently. But it's short, <laughs> compact, and then I and I hit it hard. And even me just trying to let it go a little bit longer is a lot more speed. But I used to have the mindset that I coach so hard against right now of, well, I already hit it past everyone. I don't need more distance. Yeah no, 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 you should still be trying to hit it yeah. further because it's just, it's just easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, I can remember growing up, you know, I, I definitely spent too much time on accuracy for sure when I was young and not, and not trying to hit it as hard. I'm six, four. I don't hit anywhere, anywhere near the distance I should. I mean, I, you know, I probably hit it too. I mean, I'm 43 now and hit it 295. But even when I played, like I should have been well over 300, you know, at, with my frame and size and, but, um, but I, I spent too much time for sure at accuracy. And that's not the case now. I mean, you're working with people, man. You're, I, I lengthen, I lengthen way more swings out than I shorten. I mean, it's, it's not even close, you know, especially as people get older and lose range of motion, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be wild, man. It really is. This is, this is a wild, wild time on the PGA tour. I, I talked to Chris back in July, um, and had him on the podcast right around the travelers when, um, Bryson won. And we were, we, we, he, we were talking and then I had Greg on, um, Bryson's trainer and we went back to back and they were great podcasts and people listen, go back, listen to him and, and just to kind of like learn technique. And then also just how he was training, you know, with Greg Roscoff is his name. I couldn't believe the video. If you've seen the video with good morning, GM golf or whatever, the good, good, good golf. I don't know what the good yeah. guy's name is where yeah. they're in Bryson's garage working out. Yeah, I think it's Berkshire and the GM yeah. golf guy and Bryson. I couldn't believe I, it is bookmarked on my on my desktop here. I couldn't believe everything Bryson was showing him from the workout because he is it keeps his cards held tightly. Yeah. He just laid it all out right there, like here it is, and it's yeah. like, like wow. I'm surprised you kind of threw that out there that much. Yeah. Mickelson's gotten longer, but that dude can't hit the broadside of a barn right now with it. Like that's another guy that, you know, distance is cool, but you know, I just like, that's the other side of it, right? It's like, just get longer, you know? And these guys that are in the middle of the battle right now, you know, like they don't have the luxury as these younger kids that can, I'm going to get long now and then just work my way into it. Right. And I'll, I'll figure out where the ball goes later. Like these guys in the middle of the, of the 
pack or in the heat of the battle right now. They're figuring out how to try to get a longer net. And most of them can't find it. Phil can't find it. Like I was surprised he made the cut, to be honest with you, at the PGA, the way he's been hitting it. Um, or at that players, he made the cut. Spieth, you know, another one. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that there's just a laundry list. It's a laundry list that Rory, I mean, like, holy mackerel, this dude can't hit the green with the wedge. Like, this is Rory McElroy. What the hell's going on? You know, that's it, what happens. It is where it's it's just again, like back to October. Like, once I saw what he did at the US Open, which again, I texted Como before they teed off. I literally texted him. I guarantee you Bryson wins today. There's just, there is no one else out there that can can compete. Just, it was whenever Harris or whoever lost their ball left of number one. I'm like, this place is playing so hard right now. And Bryson understands how to play golf correctly, but just getting it as far up there. And again, this is where I, I do take issue with people when they say, Bryson doesn't hit it straight. He only hit however many percentage of fairways. What I do for my players is I go through the events. I, I do use shot link data, but I don't actually use it that much. I actually go by hand through those tracker two shot link images that you'll see everybody posting like computerized images. I go through those by hand because as a pretty good player, I can be like, that doesn't really make sense to me here. How did you mm-hmm. get this? I can assure you as, as an example, if everyone remembers the shot, Matthew Fitzpatrick hit his third shot into number 11 on Saturday He'd hit it in the rough. He had to lay up. He's got like mm-hmm. 160 left and he hit it right at the bunker and right in the water. And I'm like, there's no doubt in my mind. He's thinking to himself, this is a reachable par five. Everybody mm-hmm. else is getting there. I have to get a look at birdie. And then he puts it in the lake and it's like the swing. It wasn't a great swing. A lot of times you can tell by impact and by follow throughs. It, it wasn't, a perfect swing, but also wasn't a horrendous swing. There's no chance he had the mathematically correct target on that shot and put the swing on it that I saw and it went in the water. Mm-hmm. So that's a question that I'll ask him. Like, tell me about number 11, dude, like that. Yeah. I ain't buying it. And and he's a smart enough guy to be like, yeah, yeah. I was trying to, but that's the whole point. It's a learning process of, of getting through this. Where I've got COVID brain still right now. What was, what were you saying when you just started? Cause I was, I was starting that conversation, a statement on a different thought. Um, and what was it? Well, I can't remember. Maybe this will trigger you though, because I want to. I want to talk about um, one more of your students here, uh, Will Zalatoris, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So Will, I had. So I'll tell you a funny story about Will. When he played in the U.S. Open, okay, and finished sixth, I think, behind Bryson. Um, we have a mutual friend, and I reached out to him. I said, "Hey, come on the podcast. I want to. I'd love to uh, talk to you." And uh, actually, Will this was a mutual friend. Huh. To Will or the mutual friend? Oh, uh, to the to Will. So we had mutual friend through the Corn Ferry tour, and I texted him actually before the U.S. Open, and because um, I I mean I fully know have been watching him for a while in the Corn Ferry, and the dude's a ball striking machine. I mean, a ball striking machine. He's long and he's a great iron player, and it's like that works on the PGA tour, right? Like that's, <laughs> this is gonna go well. Yeah, that works on the PGA. Long, you're a great iron player. Sign me up for that kid right there, and. So I was like, I was getting out in front. So he, he agreed. So he plays the U S open and then he comes on and I, I'm on and I'm on him. And I tell him, I was like, you know, you're in Corrales. Really? Yeah. So he goes, so he's going down to Corrales, right? He's, he's going to, he's going down the crowds, but the can he knew that. But then I actually, what I said to him was, I said, you know, you're probably going to be the favorite in DraftKings." And he's like, no, I'm like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> I said, you will be the favorite at the Corrales. And he's like, really? I'm like, yep. I guarantee it. The way you hit it. 
And uh, sure enough, he was, I think he went down there and finished like eighth or something, but the kid's been just awesome. I mean, he's been awesome since coming on making bank. um, And he's just fun to watch, man. He is a ball strike machine. He was 21st at the players, 10th at Arnold, 22nd at the WGC, 15th at the Genesis, 7th at the Farmers. I mean, these are great fields, right? And he's just like, first time, here I am, you know, never played the tournament before and off he goes. And you've been working with him a long time. Seems like a really nice kid. Um, I mean, you got to be proud, right? You have to be a proud dude knowing Will when he was young to see what he's doing now. It, it really is. I mean, it's, it, it, there is times, it is times, that's great English. There are times where I look back at it and I'm just like, I, I've known Will since he was nine years old. He's a junior golfer at my home course while I was a member of the Corn Ferry Tour. So we played a lot of golf together, did a practice a ton. Like we've done a lot together. And when I caddied for him again back in 2014 at the Texas Amateur, I, I just got a kid who I've watched struggle with putting and I have watched him be the most resilient person I've ever seen. I mean, I, I posted something about this similar on Twitter this weekend, but it's like everybody out there works hard. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. And everybody goes through more downs than ups. But what that kid has gone through since, you know, he qualified for the U.S. Junior 12, 13, 14, 15, and 17. And, you know, won it when he was 17 years old. And he was getting his face kicked in the entire time with the, with a bulky putter and was struggling and the dude never lost faith. And I remember when he qualified, you know, young and he played with like guys like Patrick Cantlay and actually won a match, you know, the next year. And then he missed, I think he was in tears on the range. I, it was either when he was 14 or 15 and we're having this conversation and, you know, he probably like listens like, dude, seriously, tell people I was crying. Like, Hey, I've cried a million. If you haven't cried on the golf course or because of golf, you don't love it enough. And you're not trying, you're not trying hard to Cause I can assure you I've cried both happy yeah. and sad tears. And he was so frustrated guys, literally in tears. And I just said, dude, I promise you, if you, if you just stick with it, you will win this golf tournament. You will win the U S junior, but you have to, you have to be able to just unplug from the ups and downs and you could just see like a little twinkle in his eye, like, dude, okay, it's not the end of the world. I'm, you know, yes. And then to have actually been able to two years later caddy for him when he won the U.S. Junior. And, you know, again, like with all due arrogance, a, a very integral part of it because we beat those players with our minds. Uh, course mm-hmm. management, staying patient, staying disciplined. Clearly, Will's the best player in the field. But it still takes variance to win any golf tournament. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yes, to, to watch that kid do what he's done. And obviously, nobody believes him more than me. Even I'm like, I can't believe you've done it. Like, you know, I yeah. worked with Doc Redmond and Maverick McNeely and Colin Morikawa sat through my seminar in college. And but all those guys, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I know them, but I don't know them. I know I don't know their tears. I know Will's tears. <laughs> and so to watch him do what he's done. And like I was telling you, we had a 45 minute conversation right whenever, uh, before we got on this call, I was talking with Will just catching up after seven weeks on the road. And I don't ever ask him like, like, yeah, take a week off, dude, take a week well, off. <laughs> it, it's hard. Well, again, it's hard because he doesn't, he's not a member, right? I mean, he's got to win in order to get a he's membership. Somebody asked me this week and what does Will have to do to get on the PGA tour? I'm like, survive till next year or win. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and a couple of months ago, I did be like, have you bought anything fun yet? Like you got to spend a little bit, man. And finally dudes made two and a half million. <laughs> I finally, it was like, I was like, dude, all right, you got to buy something. And he's like, well, I'm, I've got one thing I'm about to buy, but then I also think I'm going to get a car. And so I'm just trying to talk him into not a Lamborghini, but also not a, a Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> like <laughs> go buy something. He's going to get yeah. himself a, a Cayenne coupe, he says. So, and I literally, but this is funny part of the conversation. I'm like, get it before the Masters so you can drive it the week before the Masters. He's not playing San Antonio. You, it, 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 We're not materialistic people, hopefully, but we are at some extent. Get that thing before you go down there and drive it for a week and shoot, ship the thing over there and drive it there. And it was funny because the only reason I bring that up was because he was like, you know, it's funny you say that because in high school, the biggest win that he had, you know, before the state am and US junior was um this big junior golf tournament that he won by 13 out in Palm Springs. And he's like, I actually got my car, his Jeep Cherokee that he still has. I got that the week before. Um and I felt really good. And I went out there and then at the U S open, he, he bought his condo the week before and was in his new condo for one week leading into the U S open. And he was like, damn it. You just talked me into buying yeah. a Cayenne right now <laughs> a little bit quicker than I plan on it. Cause it's cool. Well, you got, they got to have some fun. I mean, like, yeah. man, he, he's, he's played seven weeks in a row and has played beautifully. Um, you know, these got. I feel sorry for these young guys, you know, like, you know, we see Matthew Wolf struggling a little bit with the life out there having to, these are young guys, you know, people going to college and, um, it's tough on them. I, 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 I respect that, you know, that, that, that kind of struggle can be real. So hopefully, hopefully Matthew's kind of, you know, recharging the batteries, getting his head right and get him back out there. And, uh, Will's going to be out there. Call Makora, I mean, Morikawa, as you mentioned, I mean, the guys, if, if, if JT's not the best iron player in the game, Morikawa certainly is. It's one and one between those two. So they're yeah. going to be living up there. And um, Hovland's coming. You know, Sun JM, who's part of that, is is playing well. Scheffler, you know, struggling maybe a little bit right now with his iron game, but certainly will be up there. The, the, the future's bright with that generation. But my goodness, Scott, the next generation after that, I can't even imagine what that golfer is going to look like and how far they're going to hit it. It's, it's going to be absolutely amazing to see what that athlete right now, that's 15, 16, 17, 18. And when they get out there, they're going to be like, what, how far is that? You know, that's like three eighty five. Give me my three wood. My driver well, might go over. <laughs> the perfect example of that when you say the, the player, you know, I, Tommy, <laughs> Bernie Najar, who obviously is who Tommy works with, he asked me to come out and, and walk a practice round with him back at the U S junior. And so I was out on the course trying to find them at, uh, at Inverness and I see this kid and I'm like, <laughs> what in the world is that? And I'm just laughing. And I haven't even taken my eyes off of Tommy Morrison for the listener. He's six, nine and two eighty five at 14. And I'm just like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And I don't even notice that he's standing next to Bernie. And I'm like, this is who you have me coming out here to see. Here's a kid, you know, when you're that big, it normally takes you a long time to get coordinated enough to control your limbs and just everything. Yeah, obviously, every, who's this? Uh, uh, Tommy Morrison. Tommy Morrison. Yeah, he's yep. a 15 year old kid. Yep. Um, now, at the time he's 14. Anytime a 14 year old makes the match play in the U.S. Junior, it's amazing. He makes the match play as a six foot eight, 14 year old, and. I'm just looking at this like, 
I do think, and this is where it, it is interesting because the folklore architecture crowd that loves me so much, it, it is interesting because it is just a different game. That is just all there is to it. And and people can talk about the ball and the club and everything. What Everything that has happened in the last 25 years is an advancement in the player, not the club. And it's funny because everyone, you know, we see these, this new hottest, longest, whatever. I took a 20, I literally bought it off of eBay, a 25-year-old, the original Great Big Bertha and a 25-year-old Strata. I went with the Strata because it was the first solid core ball, the wound balladas and liquid cores, the liquid evaporates, the ball becomes lighter. Obviously, rubber bands aren't as durable. I took a 25-year-old solid core ball and a 25-year-old Great Big Bertha. I hit them back-to-back with my current gamer, and I produced the exact identical numbers. 120 mile an hour club mm-hmm. speed, 180 mile an hour ball speed. That's 25 years ago. Everything you've seen, yes, the larger club allows a little bit more mishits, but at the end of the day, you could still swing the stuff back then as fast as you wanted to. John Daly did. Those guys weren't laying back on it at all. Greg Norman did. You can swing those clubs 130 and still get the exact same, same launch dynamics. Everything you see from this point forward is is an improvement in the athlete, period. There is no skirting that. And so you kind of got to salute it. What about the old courses? They should have been designed harder. Like we couldn't have known this was coming. I get it. But what they just Mm -hmm. aren't, they're not being, they're not accepting or they're not being genuine in their their belief that it's all the equipment. Yes, the equipment prior to 25 years ago was ancient. And the reason I use that 25-year-old equipment is because we're not rolling it back before that. We're not going back to the Mizuno MST, the actual tiny head or mm-hmm. a, a wound ball. We're not doing that. So the, the biggest thing we might actually do is that solid core and that, that limiting the CCs and all that, you know, the size of the head. That's not going to do anything to the PGA Tour. That's only going to make it harder for amateurs. It, that will literally change nothing on tour. Yeah. Well, we could talk for probably an hour on that topic alone. Um, <laughs> and i know you and i know you've got more players to talk to today so we'll uh but i promise you this let's do this again this year we'll get we'll get some get some golf under our belt but we have to keep this conversation going um because it, it's fascinating i know my audience will love it i know you have a podcast as well right that you guys are just started tell us about that quickly yeah yeah you know i've, I've waited like i said a long time to <clears throat> excuse me actually actually start my own podcast because I just didn't want to have to do it. But we've got three guys now, myself, Mark Crossfield and Lou Stagner, who, like I say, is my chief data nerd. We just Mm -hmm. launched it uh, three months ago, the Hack It Out Golf Golf Podcast. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest-performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels visit encoregolf.com slash travis fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game now back to the stripe show podcast 